For the last time, big promises. God says you are, you have, you can, and you will. Message one, you are forgiven. God's answer to guilt. Message two, you are never alone. God's answer to fear. Message number three, you have a way out. God's answer to temptation. Message four, you have a great future. God's answer to failure. Message number five, you can learn to forgive. God's answer to resentment. Message number six, you can live in peace. God's answer to anxiety. And last night's message number seven, you can do more than you think. God's answer to despair. Now, this morning, final message in the series, you will get better. You will get better. God's answer to hopelessness. You will get better. God's answer to hopelessness. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. This is Paul's benediction, praying for his readers in the ancient city of Thessalonica. Here is one of the great benedictions of the New Testament. And it is a benediction that points us back to God, back to God. And it seems to me at the end of a week filled with so much angst, so much worry, so many cancellations, so much change, when so much of the world, it just feels like the world is up for grabs. Well, what a great place to land. Here's what the text says. Verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5. May God himself the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the little tagline at the end, verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Notice in verse 23, may God himself the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. This, my friends, is a prayer for sanctification. One version says, sanctify you completely. Another version says, may God make you completely holy. Another version says, may God make you pure, belonging only to him. Here is a prayer, here is a prayer that God might make us Totally holy, completely pure in every heart and in every way. My friends, this wonderful prayer has not been fully answered yet. It hasn't happened yet. We're on the way, but we haven't gotten there yet. But may I tell you, this is a prayer God will answer. Sometimes we pray and wonder if our prayers are really in accord with God's will. Pray this benediction, and I guarantee you, you are praying according to the will of God. Let me translate this prayer into contemporary English. This is what I think Paul means when he adds this at the end of the little epistle of 1 Thessalonians. Lord, I have done all I can and taught these people all I know. Lord, you've got to take over now. Unless you help them, they won't turn out right. Sanctification, then, 
is everything God does in your life and mine to make sure we turn out right. Now, we're not finished yet. Look in the mirror. You'll know that's true. We're not finished yet. And that's why we pray and seek the Lord. Someday we will be finished. That's what sanctification means. Now, in these two verses, let me give you the simplest possible outline. In these two verses, we have the five P's. The person, the purpose, the prospect, the position, and the promise. Number one, the person. Look at the text. God himself, the God of peace. Repeated three times. God. God himself. God himself, the God of peace. So, write this down, friends, because it's important. Only God can make you better. Only God can make you better. Think about that for a moment. Exercise improves your body. Therapy may help your soul. Friends may lift your spirits. Good fortune may improve your circumstances. But only God can make you better. God is the author and the source of all spiritual progress. What did Jesus say? He told us, without me what? You can do nothing. In contrast to all of our feeble efforts and moral betterment and self-improvement, Paul simply says, God himself, the God of peace. It starts with God. Listen to me. It starts with God. And if it doesn't really start there, then you haven't really started at all. So that's number one, the person. Everything begins with God. Here's the second word, the purpose. May God himself sanctify you through and through. Now, that's my, that the version I'm using says that, sanctify you through and through. But it's interesting. The Greek word is, uh, well, the Greek word is, it's, it's a little complex word. It's two other words that are joined together. And Paul uses that joined together word to get this idea through and through. What it means is whole, whole, and at the end. Whole and at the end. It's a prayer that when we finally get to the end, when we're finally where God wants us to be, we will be holy and completely and finally finished from the inside out and from the outside in. That's why my translation says through and through. May God himself do what he's going to do so that when he finally gets through with us, we are holy and completely exactly what he wants us to be and where he wants us to be. Now, our problem is we're not there now. We know that. We feel fragmented today. I mean, you could just put over all of us the same sign. Work in progress. Work in progress. But God has ordained. Watch this, friends. Watch this. God has ordained. One day we'll be complete. One day we'll be finished. One day the work will finally be done. We're not finished yet. 
but we will be. We're not completely clean today, but we will be. We're not wholly wise today, but we will be. We're not totally redeemed right now, but we will be. We're not always useful to God, but we will be. So when, when the great theologian John Calvin was writing on this text, you know what he said? He said, God intends, quote, the entire renovation of the man. The entire renovation of the man. I, I like that because uh, Marlene and I have spent a lot of happy hours watching those renovation shows on TV. Does anybody else watch those renovate? This kind of addictive, you know, you can get a Coke and some popcorn. You can spend a happy two or three hours just watching, you know, they're, they're flipping, flipping Las Vegas or the, the property, you know, the property brothers on, on HDTV. And then they have these other people that hometown, hometown, that husband and wife couple there in Mississippi, Laurel, Mississippi, and they're, they're, they're going through, that's their hometown and they're, they're, they're buying those houses and, and, and fixing them up and renovating them and, and selling them and, hel- and helping their town. It's very interesting because these people take, they take these dilapidated homes and they buy them cheap and then they do their work and then they, then they sell them, right? Well, I am sure all of you, as good Christians, have watched the greatest of all the renovation shows. I'm speaking, of course, of Fixer Upper, starring the inimitable Chip and Joanna Gaines. And do you guys raise your hands if you've seen, yes, all the Christians are raising their hands this morning. I mean, who doesn't love Chip and Joanna Gaines? Now, when Marlene and I lived in, in Dallas, we were there until two years ago when we moved to Kansas City. We made a trip one day down I-35 from Dallas, about an hour and a half south, down to Magnolia Market, which is their deal, you know, their place there in, in downtown Waco. And I can say to you, the best thing that's ever happened to downtown Waco is Chip and Joanna Gaines, because until then, there wasn't a whole lot there. They've sort of turned the whole downtown into a bustling area, and you can go there, and they've got their, uh, they've got that outside sort of flower bed, and you can walk through it, and they've got the kids' petting zoo, and they've got that, the silo that they've been renovating, and they've got their bakery, and you can go, and, and the people line up. They, people line up to get into the, the Magnolia market. By, by the way, just, I just tell you, it's a friend, uh, bring your credit card. They're not giving away anything down there. <laughs> we found that out. They, this is not a nonprofit operation, but it's fantastic. It's, if so, look, you, you watch, you watch Chip and Joanna. And they go and they buy a house that's run down. Sometimes they go out in the country and they buy this just, uh, just this piece of junk, you know, out in the middle of a, of a field. And you think nobody could do anything with this. And Chip goes, Oh, this is fantastic. Joe, we can do something with this. And she kind of rolls her eyes and then she does the blueprints and she goes, the guy that does that, uh, does the welding and stuff and, and makes the stuff puts up on the wall and they, they get the shiplap going and they get the paint going. See, I know what I'm talking about. I watch this stuff and you know, and, and they get it going. Now, have you ever noticed all these renovation shows are exactly the same way? Whenever, they, they, they always start. They start over here with, man, we bought it. This is the most incredible. Joe, well, oh, this is going to be great. They're going to love this. And they get started. Now, and you always know when a commercial is about to come on the renovation show. 
Because just before the commercial, there's a problem that comes out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Just before the commercial, Chip's got to come. Joe, we got a problem. The the wiring here is bad. Joe, we got a problem. The foundation is cracked. Honey, I don't even think we're going to be able to finish this renovation. This is the worst thing we've ever gotten into. So you got to stay through the ad, right? You got to come back and see what Chip's going to do, right? We got to replace the sewer line. Oh, Joe, it's bad. It's bad. The roof has gone bad. And then in some miracle, some miracle by the end of the program, they've got that, you've got that big, you know, the, the big paint. Are you ready to see your fixer upper? And they pull it and they're oh, oh my goodness. I've never seen anything like this. Well, I have learned about renovation. I have not learned how to do it. That's a gift I don't have. But it's what I have learned about renovation from studying those shows. And I have. Two things we know. No, three. Number one, it's never as easy as it looks. And then the two things we always say about construction, it always takes longer. And it always costs more. Now listen, listen. If you think renovating a house is hard, try human life. Always unfinished. Always more to do. You fix one thing, something else breaks. You stop one habit, you start another. Talk about your leaky roof. We're all leaky Christians. We're leaking out all over the place. Yeah, and sometimes, here's what I think what, we, what I think about when a Christian dies, I think sometimes it's just the Lord saying, look, I've done all I can do down there. Come on up here where the working conditions are better. <laughs> he can't get us finished down here. Today we are holy in spots. When God is finished with us, we will be holy through and through. Aren't you glad? Yeah. Aren't you glad? Right now, there's a whole bunch of me that's unrenovated. And I feel it. I feel it. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I feel it. I feel it. So I'm so glad. I am so glad that God's purpose is to make me complete at the end. And the fact that I'm not complete yet just means I'm not at the end yet. Number three, the prospect. Your whole spirit soul and body your whole spirit all of your spirit all of your soul all of your body won't you be glad to get to the new body not just the new spirit the new soul won't you be glad to get to a renovated body let me question suppose you could change anything about yourself anything at all where would you start Uh, lots of us would start on the outside so let's suppose the Lord said, I'll change anything on the outside you want. So what would you choose? Would you be skinnier, taller, shorter, better looking? Would you change your eyes, your hair, your teeth, your legs, your bulges? Would it be, would it be a light touch-up or an extreme makeover? <laughs> would we even recognize you? 
Or maybe you would say, Lord, it's an impatient spirit. It's a critical tongue. It's envy of others. It's discontentment. It's resentment. It's uncontrollable sexual temptation. It's financial mismanagement. It's a guilty conscience. It's pride and arrogance. It's prejudice. It's a quick temper. It's profound discouragement. It's ingratitude. It's a mean streak I can't seem to get rid of. My friends, my friends, we are going to be changed. The stuff that drives us crazy about ourselves will be gone forever. I was preaching on this general topic one day and a man came up to me and he said to me, you know, I couldn't sleep last night. I said, how come? He said, I'm sick of myself. You ever felt that way? Just sick of yourself. Oh man, we all understand that. We are going to be changed. The renovation has started. It's underway, but it seems so slow most days. But when God is finished at the end, the stuff that bugs us about ourselves will be gone forever. Here's number four, the position. And may God himself sanctify you through and through, body, soul, and spirit, so that in that day, you, and it's a great word here, blameless, 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 perfected. We are not there yet. I mean, look at us. We got implants. I mean, I got metal in me. I didn't have before my little incident on the bike trail. We got bifocals. We got hearing aids. We got canes. We got crutches. We got wheelchairs. We got tubes coming in and out of all different kind of places. We got fake eyelashes. We got a few real teeth and a lot of fake teeth. We got pacemakers. We got shunts. I mean, let's be honest, folks. We're just held together this morning with spit and glue. When I pastored in uh, Chicago, Marlene and I were there, Chicago area for 17 years. Early on in my ministry there, I got to know my buddy, Joe. We became very good buddies. And over the years, the whole time I was there, Joe would just show up all the time. And our people just got to know him and got to love him. And I, I guess tell you, Joe, was a, Joe was a great guy. I could tease him. He could tease me. And jokes would go back and forth. He got very involved, he and his wife, in the seniors' ministry of our church. And I came to the conclusion, Joe truly did love the Lord, born again. And that's what ultimately brought him back to our church, the preaching of the gospel, hear the word of God. And so Joe always came, and, and, and he knew he was welcome, and we loved him. The last time I saw Joe, he was, he was and Joe was then way up in his 70s could have been 80, sort of an ageless type person. He was just way up there somewhere. And he was in the veterans hospital, diabetic. They'd had to take off a part of his leg and kind of below the knee there. I went to see Joe and he was just cheerful. He was happy. He wasn't worried about anything. Everything was okay. I said, Joe, don't worry about anything. Jesus is just taking you to heaven one piece at a time. <laughs> he... He, he laughed just the way, just the way you did. 
and we prayed together. And I have no doubt that my friend Joe is up in heaven, and I look forward to seeing him again. You know, you know what this word blameless means? It means one day we are going to stand before the Lord, finished and complete, and all the weakness of this life gone forever. And the Lord Jesus will say, does anybody in the whole universe know of any reason why this man should not enter heaven? And there will be silence throughout the universe because the Lord will have made us blameless at last. And no one will be able to speak a word against us. When Jesus returns, our character will be revealed and our perfection will be complete. So I've said this to you before. I sometimes look in the mirror, maybe more often than you would think. I look in the mirror and I ask, what is wrong with you? What is wrong? Why aren't you a better person by now? You've been a Christian 50 years as a Christian. If you ever feel I ought to be further along than I am, I should have made. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You know better than that. You're talking that way, thinking that way. Spiritual growth can be discouraging. It's like climbing Everest round and around and around and around. Sometimes you feel you're sliding backwards. Listen, listen, listen. If the Christian life is left to us, we will always fail. Only God can give us what we need to be victorious. What we need to be victorious. Here's number five, and with this I'm done. The promise. The guarantee. How do we know? How do we know we are going to make it? Because verse 24 says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. King James says, faithful is the one who called you. And that's even better because in the Greek, pistos, the word for faithful. That's, that's up front. Faithful is he who called you, and he will do it. Our entire hope, both in this life and in the life to come, rests on the faithfulness of God. His faithfulness bears the entire weight of all our puny efforts. The one who called you is faithful. You know what we are today? We are the called of God. We are called the children of God. And in the end, we will be like Jesus. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In the year 1464, a sculptor by the name of Agostino de Duccio was commissioned to take a great big piece of marble, great big piece of marble, and to, and to shape it into the form of an Old Testament prophet to be put into the academy in Florence in Italy. It was a difficult job because the, the, the piece of marble was, was cracked and it was, it had these strange fractures in it and it was discolored in places. And Deduccio worked on it for two years. He couldn't get anywhere with it. And then he stopped and that great big piece of marble was put away into storage until 1476. And that was taken out of storage. It was given to a second sculptor by the name of Antonio Rossellino. And he worked on it for a while. And he said, it's, it's, it's really impossible. I can't do anything with it. And they put it back into storage. And for 25 years, that great piece of marble stayed in storage 
until in 1501, they found the 26-year-old sculptor named Michelangelo. And they gave it to young Michelangelo. And they said, can you do anything with it? And by this time, that block of marble had gotten a nickname. They called it the giant because it had defeated two earlier sculptors. And Michelangelo looked at it and he said, I'll do what I can. And one of the problems was way back here at the back, there was a, there was a part of the, the marble that was kind of jagged and cut off and nobody knew what to do with it. Michelangelo said, I'm going to make that part of a broken tree stump. And that's what he did. He worked on that piece of marble for four solid years. And when he finished in 1505, he gave to the world the incomparable David. It is a masterpiece. You can see it today. The great academy in Florence, Italy. It has been called the greatest work of art ever produced by the hand of man. It has been said, no statue is more perfect. How did he do it? They asked Michelangelo that. And he gave an answer. Which I'm going to translate into colloquial English. How did you do it? He said, I looked at the marble and I cut away everything that didn't look like David. (laughs) That's what God is doing in your life and in mine. He is cutting away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. There's only one problem. It hurts. It hurts. He's cutting and he's chipping and he's hammering and he's sawing. And sometimes the process of shaping us into the image of Jesus is very painful indeed. And that's why what I meant earlier when I said, seen in that light, all of us are nothing more than works in progress. It's sort of like when you're driving down the freeway and you see a sign that says construction zone and, and there, there's a fence there, but you see the sign and if you roll down the window, you can hear the sound of men going back and forth and you can hear uh, the sounds of big pieces of equipment moving and you can hear the sounds of motors running. And you know stuff is happening, but when you look at it, even for quite a while, you really can't tell what they're doing. We're all just noisy, messy construction zones for the Lord. So, in my mind, I imagine a block of marble that's about six foot four, thereabouts, and it is rather ugly. It is misshapen. It is cracked in a number of places. It has veins running through it. And I picture the Lord working on that misshapen piece of marble. And finally, one evening, he just gets this part of the shoulder perfectly done. He gets it perfectly shaped, and he gets it perfectly uh, the way he wants it. He even polishes it off. And in the evening, he says, okay, I'm done for the day. I'll come back tomorrow and start again. And he comes back in the morning, and there's a, that part that he thought was completely finished is all marked up like this. You see, above that marble, there's a sign. It says, Ray Pritchard. And the Lord says, what happened here? I thought this was finished. Who did this? 
and were guilty. I raised my own hand. Lord, it's me. It turns out, as always, I am my own worst enemy. But God is faithful. He patiently picks up his chisel and goes back to work because he will not quit halfway through a project. Which is why verse 24 says, faithful is he who called you. He will do it. Not he may do it. Not he might do it. Not he could do it. But if the text says, he will do it. It doesn't even say, he will do it if we do our part. It's not what the text says. It says, faithful is he who called you and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, in the final analysis, when it is all said and done, what matters is not my stronghold on God, but his stronghold on me. Brothers and sisters, we are going to be all right someday. Garrett Kell, a pastor, posted this on his Twitter feed the other day. Pastor Kell said, quote, an elderly sister from our church who deeply loved Jesus was on her deathbed. She was visited by another member of our congregation who asked her, how are you feeling? The sister slowly opened her eyes, smiled, and said, I'm almost well. I'm almost well. Here is the big promise. You will get better. We're not there yet. He will not stop until his work is done. And when his work is done, we will be well. We will be healed. We will be better. No more hammering. No more sawing. Thank God, no more painful finish work. Why? Because God finishes what he starts. What then is left for us to do? Simply to place yourself in God's hands. If we fight against the Lord, we won't stop him. We may say, Lord, that hurts. That won't stop him. What is left to us is to say, Lord, here am I. Do whatever it takes to make me like Jesus. Several years ago, maybe five years ago now or six, Marlene and I paid a visit to the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina. Some of you, I am sure, have been there. They call libraries, not what we think of normally as a library, it's sort of a uh, just fantastic. It's where they had Dr. Graham's funeral service about a little over a year ago. This five years ago, six years ago, something like that. Fantastic place to visit. And there, there, in the, in the beautiful park, right down the walk from the Billy Graham Library is the place where Dr. Billy Graham was laid to rest and his wife, Ruth Bell Graham. Now, we went to, took the walk five, six years ago, and we saw where Ruth Graham is buried. You know, she was born in China. Her parents were medical missionaries in China. So, and, and you know, it's interesting. Usually we think of tombstones, gravestones coming up. W- what they have is a flat piece of stone. So it's flush with the ground and it's inscribed. I've actually never seen one quite like it. And it's, it's, it's finished, but there's kind of jagged edges, almost like they took it right from the quarry, right? So 
So, so you, you stop and look at it. And there at the top, there's a Chinese symbol. The word for righteousness. And then it says, Ruth Bell Graham, June 10, 1920 through June 14, 2007. And before she died, she requested that certain words be inscribed on the stone. And they were. At her request, it said, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. (laughs) My friends, we aren't there yet, but we will be. When God is finally finished, you will be like Jesus. You can take that to the bank. Faithful is he who called you, and he will do it. Let's pray. Fortify our hearts, Lord Jesus, to trust you more and more. Thank you for big promises that can never be broken. Lord, with you there is no unfinished business. Forgive us for doubting your plans. We look forward to the day when our blemishes will be gone, our weakness removed, our sickness finally healed, our defects disappeared, and we are finally made like Jesus. Help us to keep believing until the day comes when our faith is turned to sight. And in that confidence, we say with the saints of all the ages, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.